Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. Uh, today we're going to be discussing ex exactly what is Luke trying to tell us in the Christmas story. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Uh, the Christmas story is much loved. Try to find someone who doesn't love the Christmas story, and uh, you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody. It's uh, it's a great story. It's read in millions and millions of churches and homes uh, around the world around this time of year, and for good reason. Of course, Luke didn't write it as a Christmas story, and neither did Matthew write his version in Matthew 2 as a Christmas story. In fact, if we revert back to the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us in this first verse that what he's going to write about are the things that have been brought to fulfillment, and he is not satisfied with earlier gospel accounts, of which there were probably many, he wants to write his own version of the events that God has now brought to fulfillment in the person of Jesus. So his narrative is a narrative of fulfillment. That means that there were things that happened in the Old Testament, prophecies made, figures, types, shadows, patterns, which all were pointing ahead. They were all pointing to the future. They all were not individual historical acts by themselves. They all looked towards tomorrow. And Luke is a record of all of those things now coming to fruition, coming to fulfillment, and being actualized. And the Christmas story is no different. Traditionally, the Christmas story is taken from Luke 2, 1 through 7. That doesn't include the response after the birth of Jesus by the messenger from heaven who announces it to shepherds. We're not going to deal with that portion, although it is important in Luke's argument. What we're going to do is simply focus on the familiar story. And as Justin asked, what's Luke trying to tell us? You might rephrase the question, well, who is the hero in the story? And there's a number of characters in the story. First, we have Caesar Augustus, who issues a decree then we have, of course, Joseph, we have Mary, we have the infant Jesus, we have the baby Jesus, Brephos. Uh, this is, by the way, an aside. The word Brephos is the word baby or child, and it's exactly the same word that Luke uses to describe John the Baptist in utero. While John was still inside his mother Elizabeth, Luke calls him by the exact same term, Brephos. Is the same whether it's inside the womb or outside the womb. They're both children. There's no even hint that John is a, an alleged fetus. But I'm, I'm digressing. Let me come back to the point. I want to read the story and then answer the question. What's Luke trying to tell us in this Christmas story? Who's the hero of this story? Luke says 
it came about in those days, days of John the Baptist, his birth and his conception, in those days that a dogma, a decree, came from Caesar Augustus that the whole inhabited world should be registered. A census is being ordered, and the purpose of that census to record everyone's name in the inhabited world is so that then he could issue a tax law based on who's in the country. And so this uh, decree, this census, is described as the first one during the reign of Quirinius, who is the governor of Syria. That's verse 2. It's somewhat of a parenthetical thought. And we'll bypass its significance and move on to verse 3. And they, uh, everyone traveled to go register for the census, each to his own city. So everybody in the inhabited world is making a journey. And they've got to go to their own city. They've got to go to where their ancestors began. They need to go to the county seat. So if your grandfather was from another town, you needed to go to that town to register for the census. Verse 4, the zoom lens of the camera uh, for Luke gets very specific. It's a close-up. And he says, and Joseph also traveled from Galilee, that's in the north, to um, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, that's in the south, to a city, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So Joseph and Mary live in Nazareth. But during the census, they realize they need to go to where Joseph's ancestors were from. And that's in the south. That's in Judea. That's in Bethlehem. Joseph's ancestor is King David. And as you know from your Bible stories, David is from Bethlehem. So that necessitated Joseph to make this trip from the north to the south. And uh, we are told by Luke that he was from the house and the family lineage of David. So Joseph is connected to David. He's got to make the trip, and he does. So um, he went to register for the census along with Mary, who was betrothed to him, um, and she was great with child. I like that phrase, great with child. She's uh, very close to giving birth to her son. And it happened... Luke now begins again with sort of a break in the narrative. He's given us the background for the story, the background for the journey, why Joseph and Mary are going to make this trip. And he kind of begins the second part of the story and says, and it came about while they were there, that's emphasized, that is, there in Bethlehem, that the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. In other words... Um, every baby spends a certain amount of time in utero. But for every baby, it's different. Doctors can kind of predict uh, when the birthday is going to be. Sometimes they're accurate and sometimes they're off a couple of days, either late or early. But Luke wants to tell us that this birth was not accidental. This birth was planned and it came to fulfillment while they were there. So they're not at home at Nazareth. They're in a city that does not belong to them. 
And it says she gave birth to her son, her firstborn. That tells us that there was no children prior to this birth. This was her very first. And she wrapped him in strips of cloth. Uh, Luke is foreshadowing how Jesus will also be wrapped. Similarly, when he's being buried, he'll be wrapped in uh, priestly clothing in his grave. And so they wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a, the text here says, a fatain, a feeding trough, a wooden manger or a feeding trough. Although there is uh, another use of this same word in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 13, verse 15, and it's used of a feeding stall rather than a feeding trough or like a stall where you'd tie up an animal. And it says, Luke explains why this baby is being laid in a feeding trough because there was no place in the guest room. There was no place in the guest room. Uh, the guest room is used in the Gospel of Luke to describe the upper room where Jesus and his disciples uh, enjoyed the Last Supper prior to Jesus' death or where the institute, where the Lord's Supper was instituted. So this is not an inn. We know that for sure because Luke uses the word inn later on in chapter 10, verse 34, in the famous story of the Good Samaritan who founded the traveler who was mugged and brought him to an inn. That word is not used here in Luke 2. Simply, Luke wants to tell us that because the city probably was packed, everybody from Israel who belonged to the city of David or to David's family had to go there. And if she had to travel 80 to 90 miles pregnant, they'd be in last place. I mean, they would probably be the last people straggling into Bethlehem at some un, un, unfun hour of night. And naturally, there was no room left. Uh, the whole city would be packed with strangers and travelers and pilgrims. And so the guest room was normally where they would stay, perhaps with a relative, but there was not any room in the guest room. But often families kept their uh, livestock on the first floor. We don't know for sure where the manger was. Uh, we're not told that. That's not important. It is important that he was placed in a manger or a feeding trough, and uh, we will look at that on another episode. But in this case... Uh, there simply was no room in the guest room. Notice what is not said. There is no um, inn, and there is no mean innkeeper. There's no search for adequate place that's described in the story itself. It perhaps is implied, but Luke has other purposes uh, in writing this so-called Christmas story. What would it be? What are we supposed to get out of this story? It becomes so familiar to us and perhaps so filled with sentimentality and romance that we forget the point. The point is that, as we mentioned, Luke's gospel is a story of fulfillment. Micah 5.2, one of the so-called minor prophets, prophesied that the Messiah would be born in a place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrathah. Out of you will come a ruler. And so all of Israel expected that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The problem is Joseph and Mary don't live in Bethlehem. They live in Nazareth. And they had no plans on going to Bethlehem. But it just so happened that God moved the heart of Caesar Augustus to issue a decree, a dogma, 
a rule that said you need to go register for this census and you need to go to your county seat. You need to go to where your, your ancestors were born and raised. This required Joseph to make the trip from Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem in the south. So the hero of the story is God. God used Caesar Augustus as a puppet, a puppet on a string. God moved the heart of that king just like he can change a river from one direction to the next. And so rather than glorifying Joseph and Mary and singing about them and praising them and feeling sorry for them because they've encountered a mean innkeeper, we don't want to abuse scripture. We don't want to take things uh, uh, into our own fertile mind and make things up as, as what happens so often in the Christmas season or in, in Christmas stories and Christmas songs. The, the one hero of this story is God and God alone. He alone enabled through historical events to fulfill Micah 5.2. Just as Micah promised, promised in uh, Micah 5.2 that Jesus or the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, it, exact, it happened exactly that way because of the quiet sovereignty of God. No one knew what was happening. Not a soul stirred in Bethlehem, but God knew what he was doing. That gives us a great sense of confidence in our Christmas season and throughout the year that God is in charge of making sure that the promises that he made will be fulfilled, but often they're fulfilled quietly, they're fulfilled in the dark, they're fulfilled behind the scenes, there's not a lot of splash and dash, uh, not a lot of liver shivers, it's just a quiet way of God implementing his great promises. And so the Christmas story in Luke is not one which gives us cause to portray Joseph and Mary as these poor people and they're such heroes. God's the hero. All Joseph and Mary did really was follow the law. They're taxpayers. And that's really all they've done is simply to do what everybody else in the culture was responsible to do. So Christmas is a great opportunity to praise God, to thank God, to have trust in God and quiet confidence in God that what we find in Scripture will be fulfilled. But we leave it up to him to find ways to fulfill it. And Caesar Augustus, nothing more than a, than a puppet on a string, even though he had enough political power to force people to move from where they were and travel to another city at a very inconvenient time for a lot of people. But the true ruler in the story is God. What I love about it is that he's not even mentioned. God is never mentioned in the whole story. But that's Luke's way. Luke doesn't tell us. He shows us. Luke shows us through stories what the truth is. And it's a classic story of how God moves quietly efficiently and perfectly and gets his job gets the job done and the result is a savior and this is what the shepherds heard a few verses later unto you is born this day or today a savior who is Christ the Lord hey thank so that's a familiar story hopefully there's a little bit more light maybe in our minds as a result of this particular episode. Perhaps you'll read Luke 2, 1 through 7 in a new. Read it carefully and say a prayer of thanksgiving to God for his quiet sovereignty in your life as well as the life of Jesus.
Thank you for joining us this episode. And remember to send all your questions to questions for Pastor Tim at gmail.com.